0: welcome to first pitch 305 i'm your host alex aguirre and welcome to episode four of the podcast now today's episode is going to be interesting. It's going to be a little bit different. The first half of this show is going to be Marlins talk as usual, and then we're going to transition into collegiate baseball here in South Florida. We're going to get into some Kane's talk. I'm going to have a guest for that segment, but I'm, I'm not going to spoil it right away. I'm going to wait till we get to that part of the show. But thanks for tuning in, guys. You know how does that saying go? And you know when it comes to the month of April and May, it's April showers brings May flowers. But I don't necessarily agree with that when it comes to the Miami Marlins up to this point in the month of May they are 6 and 13 since our last episode on May 23rd so the Marlins are 6 and 13 right now in the month of May and i would really want this month to be over to be honest with you and the Marlins have been pretty banged up in this stretch you know they have uh, Brian Anderson has gone down on the IL joy wendell is still there Anthony Bender now is on the I.O. as well. And Cody Poteet. Now, I know Bender has been struggling and slumping. We've been talking about him a lot the last few episodes. And, I'm, and a lot of Marlins fans, you know, have been somewhat concerned compared to his performance last year. And Cody Poteet, he's he's out with injury as well. And that one kind of hurts a bit more because Cody Poteet has been kind of the utility pitcher, if you want to call it that, for the Marlins. He's, you know, coming to, for relief in, in you know early in the game for long relief outings. He's come in as a setup man. He's even started for the Marlins this season. So he's done a little bit of everything, and he's done extremely well. His ERA, is, I believe, is under two before he went down with an injury. And with the Marlins all banged up, they've been, they've been, they've been trying, or not trying, they've been relying on these replacement players the um, past week or so. And some of these players are Williams Astudillo, and I know that name rings a bell for a lot of fans He's also known known as La Tortuga, the turtle, um, for his playing days in Minnesota. He's another utility player the Marlins can take advantage of in the sense that he can play all around the diamond in the infield. And he has some experience in the outfield as well and behind the plate. I know I don't think the Marlins are going to use him in the outfield a lot or even behind the plate. The Marlins have already their catchers in place. But it is good to have players like Asudillo on your roster, even if it's just for um, portions of a season, because he can provide – something offensively and defensively at multiple positions. So that's something that you want to have as a team. Other player another player the Marlins um called up and invited to spring training as well was Eric Gonzalez. Now he's you know he's I think 30 31 years old so he's not new to the big leagues. He's you know played for he played a few years with the Pirates as their utility player. He played shortstop, second base, third base, you know, so he can move around the the, uh, the infield a bit. And then another player that the Marlins acquired in a trade on May 26th, is Luke Williams. Now, Luke Williams played for the Philadelphia Phillies and was acquired by the San Francisco Giants earlier this season. But his tenure didn't last very long, and the Marlins acquired him for prospect Hayden Cantrell. Now, Williams, you know the Marlins have been finding or are try, trying to use a lot of players like Williams. Williams can most can play all across the infield. He plays pretty much every outfield position as well. And these are just, these are the type of players the Marlins and any team MLB team really needs. For the long haul, for the long season, especially now since we're entering the dog days of summer, injuries are gonna happen. It's it's normal. It sucks, but it's normal, and every team's gonna encounter this type of problem. So you're gonna need players like Astudillo, Gonzalez, and Williams to kind of pick up the slack. And of course, when some of your relie- relievers or if you have starters that go down, like the Marlins have Jesus Sardón out still out with an injury, you're gonna have to rely on calling up guys from the minors. You know maybe some journeymen, uh, veterans that were invited to spring training but didn't make the roster, so they're still, you know, toughing it out in the minors. So it's not the most ideal situation, but in terms of in injuries, you have to make do with what you have. And the Marlins are, I'm not saying making do and because they're not really winning games, but you know, you don't, you can't really expect much when you call up these players or, or, or acquire these players just for the small moments, they're gonna have. Their, their own moments to produce and, and come up with big plays, but we don't expect that to happen compared to an everyday player like Jazz or even Brian Anderson, Joey Wendell. And and Anderson and Wendell being out, I think, is a huge, huge, huge bummer for this team compared to maybe another player being out with an injury because of what they provide. Anderson, his bat has, has been heating up. He get He's been getting on base a lot, drawing walks, not striking out a lot. He puts the ball in play. And just like a, 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 all these other players I mentioned before, Cedillo, Gonzalez, Williams, Anderson has been used as the utility guy for the for the Marlins. The last couple of years, they've been trying him out in the outfield. He came up as a as a third baseman, and I like I really like how the Marlins have been pluck, uh, plugging him in, in in the corner outfield spots. He's got a cannon of an arm, and you do need his bat in the lineup with how the Marlins' offense has been slumping um, uh, so far in May. So that injury really hurts, and 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 Joey Wendell is still out. He's been out for a while now, for a few weeks, and he his bat was picking up. He his he his he was batting the two eighties, and you know he was. I thought he was extremely important as well because he provides kind of like that backup. I know he's not a backup, but he provides that backup depth for Miguel Rojas. Miguel, Miguel Rojas is getting up there in age now. He's the captain of this team, but he's you know a day off. It will be good, a day off here and there will be good for him compared to playing pretty much every day in recent years for the Marlins. You know, Joey Wendell can play second, can play short. He is a left-handed bat that the Marlins don't really have many of right now. You know, Jesus Sanchez is that big lefty bat in the lineup. But Wendell, he's not a power hitter, but he does provide another uh, player on that side of the play. Because right now, it's just Jazz and Jesus. And Wendell's another player you can plug in at the top of the lineup. Can You can use him in, in hit-and-run situations. He makes a lot of contact. He, hits the, he sprays the ball all over the field. So Anderson and Wendell, in my opinion, are are huge, huge, huge losses for the Miami Marlins. And, you know, Asadio, Gonzalez, Williams, they're doing their best in picking up the slack. But obviously, you would you would like the mainstays in the lineup as much as possible. And and we just hope that the Marlins can turn things around as the month of May uh, winds down uh, for them. You know, since, since our last podcast on May 23rd, I had Isaac Azut from Fish Stripes joining me. And that was a, a wonderful episode. You guys t- uh, take a listen to that. But that was on May 23rd. That was an off day for the Miami Marlins when that episode came out. Since then, they've had two games with the Tampa Bay Rays, a three-game series uh, with the Atlanta Braves, and they just started a, a three-game series with the Colorado Rockies. The Marlins lost both games of their two-game series at Tampa Bay, 4-0 to and 5-4. to um, You know, I was hoping the Marlins split at least, you know, those two games. I know the Rays are a tough team, To play against, they provide so many different matchups and all these types um, of—not I wouldn't say issues—but it is a lot different playing the Rays compared to playing other teams. They 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 think a lot outside the box. They use openers. They they they, you know they rely heavily on the numbers and the and the matchups. So it it was a different look for the Marlins. And then the and then Miami went on to Atlanta for a three game series. They lost Game One six to four. They won Game Two four to one, but then dropped the series finale. 6-3. Six to three. That one was a tough one. It would have been nice to get two out of three from Atlanta. As I mentioned with Isaac in our previous episode, Atlanta has been slumping, has been struggling to start the season, and these are the games that you want to take advantage of because teams like Atlanta and they proved, and they proved it last year that they had a slow start and they were able to turn it around in the second half. And they weren't. They, they were. They were a team you did not want to see in the second half of last season. And I'm hoping it it doesn't turn out that way. Again, you know the Marlins need to take advantage of these games, especially when the Atlanta Braves aren't at full strength. So it was a shame that the you know the Marlins only got one out of three, especially since they were going to Colorado afterwards. In Colorado, it is not an easy place to pitch at all. And the Marlins have a lot of pitchers and a lot of inex- experience on that ro- on that ro- in that rotation, and they don't have a lot of experience playing in Coors Field. It's it's tough. It's tough. The ball flies out of there, you know. Pitchers with hard fastballs that, you know, have a lot of rise, that, you know, have, you know don't have a lot of movement, they tend to struggle in, in that ballpark, you know. So, uh, in that ballpark, in course Field, pitchers who, you know, throw heavy sinkers, rely on their slider, you know, that'll be more of a favorable matchup for them. But, it's you know, Marlins did drop the first game of that series 7-1. to The second game of that series was postponed for a rainout, so they're going to play a doubleheader on Wednesday, June 1st. So, hopefully... With the turn of the calendar and the turn of the month, you know, things can change for the Miami Marlins. It's been a really, really tough month, six and thirteen. They were they went a respectable um twelve, yes, twelve and eight in the month of April. And they had a they scored eighty runs and they only gave up seventy runs. So their plus minus run differential was at plus ten. It's a good sign. And you know, the offense hasn't been that poor so far in the month of May. I just feel like the pitching has taken a bit of a dip. You know, injuries obviously hurt. The bullpen, you know, there's one glaring hole that I feel like hasn't been really fixed or addressed well, has been the bullpen. And in terms of addressing that bullpen, if the Marlins are not in it by the deadline, then what's the point, right? What's the point of addressing that bullpen? We're all caught up in, you know, in, in Bender's struggles. I know he's hurting now, but he was struggling before he went down in the IL. You know, Floral didn't start the season... You know, he was supposed to be the closer. He was the closer last year. So, and Solskjaer, Scott, they were a good, you know, trade to get right before the season started. But, you know, it hasn't really panned out. The only player I could possibly think of in that bullpen that has played well or has pitched well is Anthony Bass. Solskjaer has done well so far. You know, he's had his moments. But for the most part, it's been inconsistency all around for this Marlins bullpen except for Anthony Bass, which is extremely shocking to say after his performance last season and the whole fiasco we had in, in New York with, you know, Conforto leaning into the pitch, it was just a really bad and shaky way to start his new tenure with a team. He signed a two year deal. It, you know, it was a kind of unheard of for the Marlins signing relievers to that, those type of contracts, even though it was only two years. Marlins, most of the time, but well recently, have been, you know, using one year deals or kind of tapping into their minor league system to round out their bullpen. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know how the Marlins do approach their the rest of their series in Colorado. They, they the team did announce that they will be calling up their number four prospect, Edward Cabrera. He's also the number 48th ranked prospect in all of Major League Baseball. And this is a good sign for the Marlins. This is you know, at least they're showing that hey, like you know, we're struggling right now, but we're going to try to fix things or switch things up a bit. You know, uh, Edward Cabrera, he, he's a flamethrower, he throws. You know, upper nineties can hit triple digits. His changeup is kind of like Jacob Degrom in a sense that he throws it in the low to mid nineties, and you know, guys who throw that hard can kind of get away with that. You know, we always hear that you want to have that difference in your changeup, you know, eight to ten miles slower than your fastball. But I feel like you know when you throw you know that hard like Cabrera and Sandy Alcantara and pitchers like that um, with a lot of you know a lot of movement as well, like like Sandy with the sinker, you can get away with your change of, you know, not being that big of a difference in terms of velocity. So I'm looking forward to Edward Cabrera making his 2022 season debut. Um, I feel like it's a shot on the arm the team needs. Earlier in the season, we were talking that maybe Max Meyer would have been that shot on the arm. Obviously, he went down with an injury, so the Marlins are looking to other, other players, and I think Cabrera is the right move at this time. We'll see what other moves they make. Yes, they did trade for uh, Luke Williams. They're calling up Edward Cabrera, but... I feel like this is not they're not done yet in terms of making some roster adjustments and tapping into their minor league system. They're fourth in the division behind Philadelphia, Atlanta, and New York. New York is running away right now uh with the NL East, but the Marlins can still have a chance to crack into that wild card. We, we do know they have this, some, you know, they create some magic with that wild card spot. And with the expanded playoffs, I I'm not counting out the Marlins yet. It's just a shame right now because of all the moves they made in the offseason and everything you would think that maybe they could be hovering around 500, maybe a game or two over, you know, but it, we'll, we'll see how the rest of this plays out for Miami because it's it's only going to get tougher from here. Uh, after they come back from Colorado on their road trip, they're going to be returning to Lone Depot Park for a four-game series against San Francisco. Then they have an off day on June 6th, and then they have a, a three-game series against the Washington Nationals. Now, I'm hoping that in this seven-game homestand for Miami, they can split that four-game series against San Francisco. They're a tough team. They play an extremely tough division. They have a winning record, and they're in third in the NL West. So that goes to show show how talented the Giants are, and they're not at full strength either. They're playing a bit banged up as well. But I want to put more focus or more attention on that three-game series against Washington. If If the Mons can take care of business in terms of splitting that series against San Francisco, then I feel like... They'll be in really good shape moving forward if they can get two out of three from Washington. Obviously, I would want a sweep. I would want to see the Marlins take advantage of the the Nationals who are, you know, they are the bottom uh, bottom feeders right now in the NL East. Those are the teams, you know, if you want to contend or at least be competitive in, in in a playoff race, you need to beat those teams. You can't let them hang around. And earlier in the season, when the Marlins were facing the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they were a struggling team, they weren't able to take advantage of that. And hopefully, they don't they don't repeat that type of performance. Good teams beat and win series against struggling and poor teams. Period. You just got to take care of business. As simple as that. So hopefully, you know, with Cabrera making his 2022 season debut, he can, you know, stick around in the rotation, you know, bring some life and some energy because Rodgers hasn't been performing well. Lozardo is out. So right now the, the rotation is not playing up to their potential with injuries and, and things like that. So we'll see how Eric Cabrera does with this time with the Marlins and and we'll see how long he can stick around and hopefully, you know, this will be the last time he gets a call down to the minors and he proves that he does belong in Major League Baseball because I think he does. He, he has the stuff. It, he just needs to put it together now and hopefully the Marlins can, you know, Give him some reps to get some innings under his belt and feel confident about him, so that he that he does belong and he can compete with big league players. And other than the pitching staff being depleted a bit and not performing up to expectations, we also got to focus and and also bring up that the offense hasn't really been making that improvement or that turn around the corner. You know, Soler, his best been heating up a bit, but Garcia. What I've been noticing, though, is that he, he's he been making more contact. He was striking out a lot more in the beginning of the season, making a lot more hard contact, but now he's just the um, the unfortunate part of baseball that, yeah, you're, you're making hard contact, but he's but he's hitting it right at players. So at least he's putting the ball in play. But he's still hitting, you know, in the low 210s, you know, hovering close to 220. You know, hopefully, you know, that Sears in Colorado can bring some life to his bat. It, it can for a lot of players. So we'll see how it goes in Coors Field. But... It's been a very, very, very tough tough month of May for the Miami Marlins. You know, Sandy is going to have a start in the beginning of the month of June, so hopefully that can catapult this team and turn things around. Um, there are only a few games under 500, so they're not they haven't hit the double digits mark yet. So that's a sign that maybe they still have a chance to get to 500 and then roll. I, I remember when Jack McKeon. Came back for his second tenure coaching with the Marlins. They were struggling, and he had a saying that All we like, you know, we can't think about playoffs and things like that. Let's just get to 500, and then when then he said, once we get to 500, then we can roll. And that that saying has stuck with me for a very long time. Let's just get to 500, and then we can roll. And I feel like that should be the mental state, the mental uh, game plan, I guess, for the Marlins, just game by game, inning by inning. Let's try to win as many of those these small battles as much as possible. And then when it all adds up, it can turn into wins and, and then a, and a win streak and, and so on and so forth. And winning consecutive series. You know, the season isn't, we haven't reached the halfway point of the season yet. So the Marlins do have an opportunity to change the narrative of their season or at least make it a competitive one. All right, guys. So that's going to do it for the first part of episode four of First Pitch 305. We're going to get into some college baseball talk now. So we're going to take a little quick break here. When we come back, I'm going to introduce my guest for part two of episode four. So stick around, guys. So moving on with episode three of First Pitch 305, we're going to get into some college baseball. Now, I remember in episode one, I mentioned that for this podcast, we're going to get into some collegiate baseball talk here in South Florida, which included Florida International University, Miami-Dade College, and, of course, the University of Miami. And joining me for Episode 3 of First Pitch 305 is Lemon City's own Gabriel Garcia, Lemon City's beat writer for the for the Marlins. I, I platoon with him. We are like the Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar of Lemon City Live. We're platooning, we, we're covering the Mons together, but he is Lemon City's whiz on UM baseball, Canes baseball, and FIU baseball. But for this episode, we're going to strictly just get into some UM baseball, the Hurricanes. Gabriel, how you doing? Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm very, very excited to be on your show, and I'm actually very excited for uh, this weekend's regional.
0: And yeah, so we're going to get into that a little bit later in, in, in the episode, we'll talk about uh, you know the, Can- the Canes and their upcoming regionals and their, and their opponents, predictions, things like that. But I want to talk to you, Gabe, first about the season that the Hurricanes had. The, the regular season, they had a 39-18 and 18 overall record. And I talked to you a bit last night prior to uh, doing this recording. We talked a little bit about the Hurricanes and their season. And um, it's probably one of the best seasons you've seen personally by far. Um, I'd assume, right? The 39-18 overall record, 20-10 and 10 in the ACC, 28-8 and eight at home. I, from you know, just by looking at the numbers, I feel like that's a really good season.
1: Well, I've been covering the Canes for a relatively short amount of time since mm-hmm. 2018. Okay, but I've got to say, this is the best team I've seen assembled without counting 2020, which was shortened by the COVID 19 pandemic. Okay, and by the way, mm-hmm. I, I can't believe it uh, that I'm even saying this, but I was able to predict. Uh, the Canes' final record for the regular season: thirty-nine and eighteen. So I'm kind of pretty much uh, tooting my own horn just a little bit there.
0: Oh, so you had so you predicted something like this then?
1: Yeah, I had predicted them finishing thirty-nine and eighteen. Okay. I predicted them to lose the ACC championship, which they did, unfortunately.
2: They did. Mm-hmm.
1: And I also predicted that they would miss out on hosting, but luckily hmm. for everyone involved they are hosting they are but like i said i was really surprised um that i was able to predict the record because what i did was is that i looked at the team i went down the list or the schedule and i started putting in you know wins and losses i revisited the schedule a couple times and then i basically came up with the final number 39 and 18 wrote the preview and just left it at that So out of curiosity, just before the ACC baseball championship uh, tournament, I decided to look at the preview. And lo and behold, it was right there, 39 and 18. I went back to the website to make sure that everything was correct. And yeah, 39 and 18. And I was like, I started texting people and saying, what would you say if I told you that -hmm. I was able to correctly predict the Miami Hurricanes' final regular season record? And a bunch of people were saying, oh, prove it. So I started linking the article. I started linking the stats. And, you know, I'm actually quite proud of myself for that. Not the entire prediction was correct, mind you. But, hey, man, I'm just happy with the regular season record prediction because 39 and 18, they were one game short of 40 wins.
0: Extremely impressive. And if I were you, I would have played the lotto immediately right after that, you know, just to see. Because with with that prediction, with that luck, who knows we could have won. But I just feel like you know with UM, UM, people weren't really talking about, I guess, like a lot, there's a lot of hype around their football program. obviously recently with crystal ball returning, things like that. So I personally felt like that the baseball season got, I guess not downplayed, but just got flew under the radar a bit. And um, just to give some love to the program, what are some standout players? So, so so fans maybe like myself and other people listening can gauge if they you know take a look at these regional games and, and figure out, okay, which players should I have my eye on? Because they had a great season, a great regular season, and and, uh, and they're going to bring that into the regionals.
1: All right, so for standouts, when I think of U.N. baseball, mm-hmm. the first names that pop out is Johanny Morales, for example. He's their third baseman. He okay. led the team with 14 home runs this season. Then there's C.J. kafis who's the team MVP. He had a 369 batting average. He plays first base, and he's pretty much their leadoff man. Then there's Jacob Bayou-Burke, and he got Rookie of the Year. He's their outfielder. I'm looking forward to his college career because I expect big things out of Mr. Burke. And then for the pitching side, they've got the ace, Carson Ponquiz. They have Carson Lingen. They also have Jake Garland. And Alejandro Rosario also pitches. So it's basically Carson Ponquist as their ace, Carson Lingen. And then they mix it up a little bit with Jake Garland and Alejandro Rosario. Mm-hmm. And for the relief core, the first guy that comes to my mind is Andrew Walters. He shuts it down completely. Like if the game is tied, bases loaded or ahead by, by a run or any high leverage situation, you give the ball to Walters. It doesn't matter, lefty righty doesn't matter. You give it to Walters. And another good reliever is Alex McFarlane. So mm-hmm. yeah, those are some of the standouts. There's other players too, but these are like the 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 top of the top.
0: Was well, mentioned is it's good you mentioned you know the relievers especially you know I feel like in college baseball you know compared to professional baseball we see a lot of more I guess the matchup game matchups again being matchup heavy. And I feel like, you know, having a reliever that can get lefties and righties out, it's only going to benefit your team because there's not many guys like that, relievers like that at the, at the collegiate level compared to once you get to the professional level where it's expe- you're, ex- you're expected to get hitters on both sides of the play out on the plate more consistently. And I think that's great for, for UM. Now, sticking with pitching, we talked a bit about the team last night. I was, I was getting my insight on UM as well, thanks to Gabe. And um, you mentioned that only four there's only four seniors on this roster and all of them are pitchers that that's for me that's I, that's mind-boggling that's extremely interesting have you ever seen a team co- assembled like that on the collegiate
1: level i have never seen a team like this there's only four seniors as you said so the team is very very young mm-hmm. but i'll be really honest with you if there's one thing that they've shown is that their youth is actually a strength particularly okay. with chemistry They play well together as a team. Very well. And that's part of the reason why there's a lot of hype with them. Mm -hmm. Because despite only having four seniors, despite being very young, Mm -hmm. they've been able to play outstanding baseball as a whole in the regular season. They've had stumbles. They've lost to, for example, Harvard. They stumbled, as I predicted, against the Florida Gators. That's who I thought they would stumble first but they ended up mm-hmm. losing to Harvard, but it is what it is. And despite all that, they got into a nice streak of games midseason. They swept UNC, they swept Duke, and they swept Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. And they were just winning series after series after series in the ACC, which is why they finished 20-10. and 10. And they've been the consensus top-10 team for the last seven weeks, they lead the country with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 13 top 25 victories. And to top it all off, they're hosting their first regional since 2016. And considering their 28 and 8 home record, I like their chances.
0: And so you think having, to, you like your chances. So is with four of the players, uh, four, four players on the team being seniors, all of them pitchers, would you consider that an anchor for the teams as, as something to build off going into regionals? That, you know, we can lock down pretty much almost almost every game with a solid pitcher leading the staff.
1: Well, when it comes to the staff, their number one guy, uh, at least for the starters, is Carson mm-hmm. Ponquist. He's their ace. And when it comes to the relief corps, there's Andrew Walters, there's Alex right. McFarlane, and they've also called on Jordan Duberley, which is one of the seniors. Another person that they could call on that, he he has experience and he's done well, Uh, well, relatively well, not, not entirely, but you know, it's JB Gates Gates Mm -hmm. has pitched in, in relief before he's also helped at the plate in his freshman year. But when it comes to the seniors, the one guy there that they can really turn to is Jordan Duggerly. He can help out of the bullpen and not to knock on the other three, but to be honest, it's the regionals. Everybody's got to step up. So if the coach gives, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his name really quick, Anthony Arguilas Ar- the ball mm-hmm. or Matt Redalunas, they have to step up. And it's going to be really important in the regionals because you don't know what kind of situation you're going to find yourself in. Maybe it's a slugfest and you're burning through your bullpen. And next thing you know, you're already used up, Quist. You used up Walters, McFarlane, Mm -hmm. uh, Dobberly, et cetera, in an extra inning game. It's happened before. I remember there was a UM game a few years ago. wasn't necessarily regionals, but they went 16 innings. Imagine that. They need depth, and they have it in spades. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that translates to success, we'll find out, but they have plenty of guys to call on, including the senior class, which I'm actually hoping that, Since these are their last games at the light, that they pretty much ride off into the sunset on a high note. That they step up, and if they get the ball, they do what they have to do. Get out of jams, get out of high lever situations, or not even just pitching a clean inning. That's all you can ask for. So that's what I'm looking forward to, seeing some of these players step up, particularly the seniors, since this is, like I said, their last hurrah.
0: Exactly, you know, and obviously, you know, for some of these players, it'll be the last time playing like this type of organized um, type of baseball. And of course, you want to finish strong, especially at home. Like I mentioned earlier, they have a twenty-eight and an eight record this season at home, so I feel like that will play it to an advantage. And they have a lot of experience as a uh, you know as a school playing at, in the in the in the postseason at Mark Light. So I feel like that'll be will be an advantage to them as well. And speaking to uh, and and moving over to um, results already that happened um the ACC championship you know UM uh, played and they lost to NC State and Wake Forest they lost to NC State 9 to 6 and they lost to Wake Forest 16 to 3 Gabe is that something to be if you're if you're a UM baseball fan should you be concerned going into regionals after that after the ACC championship performance by UM
1: Despite my excitement it is a legitimate concern How come be- because momentum is a very important thing mm mm-hmm. Mhm To go 0-2 and to get mercy ruled by Wake Forest is pretty demoralizing. The coach admitted that the boys, uh, well, the boys are now in high spirits, but in the aftermath of their early exit, they were pretty down. And rightfully so. And that's just it. You want them to come into the regional riding high, not coming off of being mercy ruled. And I'm glad that they're playing at home Because with the fan base and home field advantage, that's going to give them a necessary boost. And they're going to need it. Because I believe that when they play that first game, they got to come out all cylinders, like firing on all cylinders. They have to make a statement. They have to. Because if they are able to take control – of that game and set the tone and take care of business, they are essentially putting themselves in an excellent position to advance to the super regional. But like I said, they have to really, really, really set the tone on that first game. If they're able to and win, let's say eight, nothing, five, nothing, some kind of a statement doesn't have to be a shutout. Then right then and there, the team has been able to really turn the page from losing against wake forest and NC state and that they are ready for that playoff run.
0: Well, one positive I can definitely take away um, from the ACC championship performance is that they did play that UM did play against the ACC pitcher of the year for wake forest. um, Their ace, Rhett louder. They did tag him for three runs. They, they didn't make him work. They did draw five walks. So that's offensively. That's something that you can definitely build off of and transfer over into the regionals, but you're facing it against high caliber, a high caliber pitcher, you know, a talented, a talented pitcher. So that's that, that you can definitely take that experience onto the next, get the next game for UM. um yeah. But I feel like it's, you know, baseball, especially there's a long season. You gotta have a, you gotta have a very, very short memory, especially in this, t- this part of the season in college baseball. Yeah. They have not- to
1: have amnesia. And if Carson yeah. Ponquist gets the ball, for friday mm-hmm. i really hope that he's turned the page because he got dinged around pretty badly against nc state he mm-hmm. didn't last past the fourth inning and he's our ace and for a young man like that it can mess with him hopefully he's put it past him and that if they give him the ball for friday against um kinesis that he puts out a quality gem
2: right
0: and so now we're going to get into more, like, regionals talk, as Gabe was already touching on. So UM, UM, they're the number six seed in the NCAA Division I tournament. This is their 48th postseason appearance, and they're hosting for the 28th time in program history. And so they'll be playing against Ole Miss, Arizona. And how do you how do you pronounce it, Gabe? Canisius?
1: Uh, that's what I uh, uh, initially called them, but if I'm not mistaken, they're called... Uh... Um what did i say uh canisius canisius uh yeah canisius oh i pronounced them perfectly earlier but like oh now again now now we're both in our heads yeah yeah now now when you said it it got right back into my head but it's all right it's okay it's canisius if i'm not mistaken yeah canisius so canisius their first game sorry canisius there we go canisius
2: there we go there we go canisius it's their Golden first Griffins, game. I
1: think, is their team name. They've won the, their conference a few times. Mm-hmm. And to touch up on them, since they're the first opponent that they face, correct. Um I would be keeping an eye on their pitching. Already the coach has mentioned uh Damari, that they have a righty and a lefty worth looking at. The righty is Matt Duffy and the lefty is Chris uh Puliot. And I don't think they've announced their pitcher just yet, but the Canes are already prepared for the eventuality of either taking on the righty or the lefty. They're going to, you know, adjust accordingly. When it comes to the hitters, there's two guys that uh, looking at the roster are the ones that I would keep an eye on that. Mm -hmm. I would hope that if there's any tape on them, that the pitchers, not just Carson Ponquist, but the rest of that uh, bullpen. And frankly, the rotation keeps an eye on which is Matt Max Grant and Mike DeStefano my hope is, is that they're able to keep those guys irrelevant at the plate. This team is not a power hitting team, but they can score runs. And their pitching is what I would like to, let's just say, knock out early because mm-hmm. when you dig into someone's bullpen, you're already, you know, forcing them to use up arms in the very very first game of a regional.
0: And so that was the that's UM's first opponent. Can you give us any insight on Ole Miss, Arizona? Who other? You know, obviously we're rooting for UM here, but there's out of the three other teams um, grouped up with UM. What is the one team that you, when you first saw that uh, the group you were like, wow, okay, this 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 could, this could give UM some problems. This this uh, team.
1: Well, we have history with Arizona and Ole Miss. We beat mm-hmm. Ole Miss in the Oxford Super Regional in 2006. We beat okay. Arizona in the Coral Gabriel Super Regional in 2008, which, funny enough, we beat Ole Miss previous to that in the regional also. And if I had to – well, when they first announced our group, mm-hmm. when I saw Arizona and Ole Miss, I – well, let's just say I respect those two programs. They are more than capable of beating us. Mm-hmm and if i had to pick the one that i would be more worried about i'd say arizona i'd say arizona that's the team that i would be looking at but to be real honest it's it's like this every year it doesn't matter who it is in every tournament there will be a four seed defeating a one seed there will be upsets the goal for um is is to not be one of those upsets don't turn into a statistic Keep rolling, make a statement on Friday, set the tone, and take care of business. Once they win on Friday, keep it going on Saturday all the way to Sunday, so that way they can make it to the Super Regional, where they will also be hosting because they have a uh, uh, top eight national seed, specifically number six.
0: Hmm. And you mentioned um, with Canisius their pitching staff. You know, you know, depending on who will be opening a righty or a lefty has, you know, throughout the season for the university of Miami has like, has there often shown any tendencies compared, you know, facing lefties and righties, any weaknesses compared you know, on, you know, depending on which pitcher is pitching or has they, have they been kind of balanced no matter who a lefty or a
1: righty on the mound? Fairly balanced. Uh, at least from what I've seen, fairly balanced, mm-hmm. they don't have any particular problems in, in matchups. But if I had to wager a guess, I'd rather take on um, their southpaw than their righty because their righty uh, Matt Duffy, if I'm mm. not mistaken, that's their race, and they might save him for Saturday, which is another thing that's been discussed, whether or not to use Carson Ponquist on on Friday or change it up. I would I would assume that they're that Gino's not going to touch the rotation in terms of scheduling because technically. Ponquist always gets the ball on Friday, you know, the Friday night ace. Mm-hmm. And personally, I kind of want them to put in Ponquist so that way Ponquist can get right in there, get on the mound, since this is his first start since the NC State game. And he can pretty much process his way and weave his way into hopefully a good start and a quality gem that with some luck they get the W and move forward in the regional. With that said, if they use him on Friday, they won't be able to use him, at least I don't think, on Sunday because that's just two days rest. So let's say he throws 70, 80 pitches Mm -hmm. and it's two days rest. Like I said, six innings, seven innings. Carson's out of there. They'll have to rely on someone else, which is why I feel comfortable with the Canes team that we've assembled because there is depth. We Like I said, we have uh, Carson Lingen. We also have Jake Garland. Alejandro Rosario has not had a good year. His ERA is above seven. But like I said, same thing with the seniors. This is the regional. This is the time for players to step up. Seasonal statistics don't matter anymore. Everybody starts at zero. And he's going to have to be considered... Uh, moving forward, they could always go with Jake Garland, but you never know what the situation brings. My guess is, is that they're going to use P- Ponquist on Friday, Carson Ligon on Saturday, and Jay Garland maybe on Sunday. But that's completely tentative because for all we know, uh, Geno doesn't go with Ponquist on Friday. He can completely change the dynamic and go with, heck, he could go with Jay Garland. And it could completely fake out the other team. So we'll see. We'll it seems see.
0: like a pretty interesting situation that you're 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 talking about there, because on one hand you you you're not in mind uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's keep it the way it is. We had a great season, you know. Let's keep it the way it is. But on the other hand, everyone like you said, everyone starts at zero and zero. Everyone's record is zero and zero. So kind of kind of a clean slate. But there's a lot of footage, a lot of game footage already built up throughout the season of UM and obviously other teams. So maybe you know you could flip the script a bit with your rotation to I don't know maybe throw off your opponent so you, you know there there are options that you know that you UM can can do but if me personally I'm the type of person that if, 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 if it's what got me there then I'm sticking to it because then if I'm you know then I, like at the end of the day like you win with what you got and you win with your best so and that's their how I would, I would yeah. like
1: to have had him pitch against Arizona or Ole Miss but no he's the Friday night Ace and it should remain so. Your best exactly. is Ponquist. you go with Ponquiz because it's the first game and they need to win that first game.
0: It's exactly, it's a double it's a two game elimination for those not who don't, who don't know It's double uh, double game elimination. So, but yes, you got to get that first win. It sets the tone immediately, kind of kind of like that safety blanket as well. It's like, okay, we got that one now we can breathe not breathe a little bit but like it's, you can play a little bit more relaxed in a sense because Yeah got... because
1: the losses at the ACC tournament will be basically mm. a memory. Yes. Like you said yes. it'll, it'll be forgotten. Hey, look, we won that first game, now we can roll.
0: Exactly. You you do want to get over that that mental hump as well because it it can definitely linger those type of losses, especially a, a mercy rule like that in a, on a, a grand on a grander stage. It wasn't a regular season game. So it can definitely, you know, linger on a bit. But this team has shown that they can bounce back, they, especially after losses. They don't have a lot of back-to-back losses throughout the regular season. You know, they kept think they, they've kept they been able to adjust and win games and, you know, continue to move the line. Um, you, sp- you spoke about, you know, the depth that this team has, and even without the many seniors on, on, on the roster. So, Gabe, is the future bright in Coral Gables for all the U.N. fans wondering?
1: I would say so, because most of the team is going to come back next year. Mm -hmm. I believe um, Well, I I read recently uh, the top 200 MLB prospects list that was posted not even a week ago, I don't think. And if so, it's yeah, it's roughly a week. There's about three guys on that list are in the top 200. It's Carson Ponquist, Andrew Walters and Alex McFarlane. Uh, Assuming those are the only guys that get drafted, I would not be surprised if there's a fourth the team's going to come back for the most part whole.
0: And that's great. That's great. You know, because they're, you know, they, and that's that's another year of that chemistry you were talking about that they can continue building from. And then familiarity with everyone's play styles that may, and that could be a humongous advantage compared to other teams in the ACC who maybe had a lot of seniors uh, leaving or transfers and things of that sort and players were getting drafted and whatnot. So yeah, I'm a huge believer in that, you know, especially in collegiate sports, you don't have a lot of times, but, you know, even in the basketball, if you want to, you know, be more general with it, you know, a lot of one and dones, you got a lot of players who are, you know, so it's hard to build that type of chemistry in baseball, you know, you have more uh, room, I guess, to play with in terms of building chemistry with your teammates, but no, that's great to see. That's, that's, that's a, that's a huge advantage in my opinion moving forward for next year and the following season, because you're going to have, you have some, you have some couple years to play with there, especially with the younger players.
1: My expectation is that they're only going to get better. For example, Jacob Burke, like I had mentioned earlier, he got rookie of the year, Mm -hmm. and he's a pretty gosh darn good outfielder, and I'm expecting big things from him, both back there in the outfield and at the plate, but time will tell. That's what I like about this team. They're very youthful. I like what I'm seeing, Mm -hmm. and it makes me dream big on how they're going to do next year. It's We're not a not- guarantee, but you, you if you're a UM fan, you have to be excited.
0: No, for sure. No, there's a lot to look forward to. When I saw UM come, uh, play against um, FIU earlier in the season at FIU for their um, – because they played one at FIU and one at UM. um That's good. And, and when they – I saw the game, and I, I covered the game for FIU versus UM at FIU. And when I saw UM's team – they, it, it looked like they had a lot of athletes. What I mean, what I mean by that is they had a lot of five-tool players, a lot of a lot of fast players, a lot of guys who can hit, a lot of guys who make contact, not a lot of strikeouts, and and everyone makes the routine play. You know, like a, 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 a team that I've noticed that a team did not make a lot of mistakes, did not shoot themselves in the foot a lot, because you see that a lot happen in college baseball, the errors, and then when one error happens, that can just start an avalanche of a horrific inning. And you,
1: well, like I've always said, errors extend innings. Mm-hmm. They give teams second and third chances at the plate, or in this case, since they need three outs, fourth and fifth chances. Mm-hmm. And that's just it. You can't help the other team by committing errors. And that is one of the things that I want UM to improve in next year. Mm-hmm. From what you've seen, they don't make a lot of mistakes. But coming from a guy that's watched this program all year, Absolutely. I have a very disturbing, uh, not disturbing, but a concerning statistic. Okay, so they lay laid on me. They committed 62 errors, which was the fifth most in ACC. Mm, okay. For a comparison, Notre Dame committed 35, Virginia committed 50. And they need to work on that next year because there was a lot of games, consecutive games, that they would do at least one error. And when you do that, you're letting, you're giving the other team life at the plate. When they see that kind of error, they're like, hey, they didn't get us out. Maybe this is our chance to be in a rally, string together some hits, and get back in this game. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're college baseball players. They're not, you know, they're not major leaguers yet. Errors are to be expected. But when you're committing 62 errors, Mm -hmm. yeah, they can't do this in the regional, not against teams like, Arizona not against teams like Ole Miss and not against future teams that they may face if they advance in the super regional and even less in the college world series they have to play as perfect as they possibly can in all facets of the game defense hitting and pitching because the good teams will make other teams mistakes and turn it around on them in other words they will pounce on your team's errors those are the good teams when you give them the opportunity, they will pounce on it and execute.
0: Yeah, you know. So the road to Omaha is gonna looks. You know, it's not impossible, but it's, it's gonna be tough for UM, UM. Just like for every any team in, in these type of situations, anything can happen. It's two game elimination, so every game, every inning, every pitch is extremely, extremely crucial for for any team. Um, so we're gonna be closing things out here on for episode three of First H three hundred five. I'm with Gabe Garcia, part of the Lemon City uh, family, he covers the Marlins, covers UM, covers FIU baseball. He's a jack-of-all-trades. He just loves baseball. And, and Gabe, you know, just closing things out here, you mentioned um, the improvements that UM, the Canes baseball needs to make for, you know, upcoming games and for next season on the defensive side. But let's get into what goes beyond college baseball and, and drafted players. You mentioned the three the three players in the top, two, uh, top 200. Um... Do you think that number will increase, you know, with with how young and exciting this team is? Do you think that number will increase, you know, for next year and the year after instead of having three or four drafted players, you think that number will go up?
1: Well, based on what I've seen so far and how well UM does in recruiting, Mm -hmm. I believe that there is a strong reason to expect more than three players getting drafted every year from the program. I'm talking four, even five. Okay. For 2020, for example,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the Hurricanes, if I'm not mistaken, lost five players. Okay. Two of them to the draft. Slay Sassoni was drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks. Chris McMahon went to the Colorado Rockies. And excuse me, there's a third. Freddie Zamora, who went to the Milwaukee Brewers in the second round, they lost Brian Van Bell when he signed with the Boston Red Sox five days after the draft as an, uh, as an undrafted uh, free agent. And I believe another player that signed, and, and if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I believe Tyler Kaiser also signed as, a, as an undrafted free agent. But going back to your question – like I said, with the recruiting that the baseball program has been able to achieve, it's to be expected for five players. I'll give you a couple other names that I look forward to seeing getting drafted eventually if they don't get drafted this year. Mm-hmm. Johanny Morales, Jacob Burke, and then there's CJ kafis For all I know, they get drafted this year. I don't think they will be. I know for sure it's going to be uh, Carson Ponquist, Walters and McFarland. But you never know. I'll be honest with you, I didn't think that Freddy Zamora was going to get drafted in 2020 because Zamora, if I'm not mistaken, went down that Tuesday before the season started. He was he played he played his last game in 2019 because he spent 2020 injured. I think it was like a knee injury. Can't remember what it was specifically. But despite that, he was taken in the second round by the Brewers, Hmm. a guy that spent all year, he didn't play a single game injured. And I didn't really think they were going to draft him because he got injured. You don't have anything on him for 2020. And you don't know, like, the extent of the injury because, you know, when players get injured, you don't know if they're the same player or worse when they get back from it. So, you know, I've... You never know. I think that with three guys being drafted this year, that's great. But I would not be surprised if there's a fourth. Mm -hmm. And moving forward, it's not out of the realm of possibility to see four, even five Canes players to get drafted from here on out. Because this program turns out great players, as history has shown. And there's no reason to doubt that continuation. So long story short, I do fully believe that they should be getting at least four or five players getting drafted moving forward. Not this season, but in in future seasons.
0: That's awesome. And you know what? That's only gonna build their case, the recruitment case. When I mean, he's like, look at what we have to offer to when, when these new recruits that we have, we're, you know, we're always building something special. We have we're always constantly developing, building co- building good core uh, cores for the, for teams to compete, you know, for something bigger after the regular season. So you know that's great. that's great to see and I you know Gabe, thank you so much for, for being on the show because you know, honestly this has been huge for me to learn more about the University of Miami. you know I'm a panther, I'm a gator so you know I'm getting more familiarity with University of Miami and they're all, and, you I give me this, so
1: much by being a gator I'm just I know I'm just putting that I know I know right people now. can't
0: see it right now, but Gabe is giving me this smug look that is like mm, ah, the gators I understand I understand so worlds are colliding right now. Here at First Pitch, three hundred five. You know, we got a Gator. We got someone who loves the Canes. So you know, but Jordan McPherson been... would
1: love you right now, but I hate you. I know, he, I know, he, Jordan. He's, a, he's he's an
0: alumni of uh, UF. He's, he's a Gator as well. Exactly, exactly. Oh, but, God. Uh, but you know what? Uh, all that aside, I'm I'm I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot about the program, about you know UM baseball and their season, and hopefully you know they get past the regionals, and make it a super regionals. I know the road to Omaha. It's not easy and it's not for everyone, but I hope, you know, anything can happen, especially, you know, in baseball. It's, and it, it's any, pit, just by one pitch can make a difference. And, you know, hopefully, you know, UM does, you know, their defense holds intact. They don't make any errors. They capitalize on their team's errors. And, and, you know, I'm curious to see how that pitching rotation is going to look like after coming off the performance in ACC championship. Um. Well, so we're, since we're closing things off here, Gabe, any final thoughts on the Canes leading into the regionals, Closing thoughts here.
1: Uh, My closing thoughts are this. If they can get that statement win on Friday, Mm -hmm. I firmly believe they will make it to the Super Regional. They need that win. With that said, Mm -hmm. they have another reason, or rather another plus besides the home crowd. Okay. They have dedicated their playoff run to Batboy John Michael. Okay. Okay. Be, and he underwent surgery for ulcerative colitis and it's it's a chronic inflammatory bowel disease which mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken uh, it's abnormal reactions of the immune system causing inflammation and ulcers in the inner lining of the large intestine and I saw uh, that that little boy on several occasions I actually saw a news story on him recently that was put on the cane's Twitter And I was absolutely touched by how big of an impact that uh, little boy had on the team. He's family to them, Mm -hmm. complete and utter family. And they are, they're not only, not only is he in their thoughts, but they're dedicating their playoff run to him. And that's fuel. That's, that's a lot of fire that they're playing with, which I'm happy to see after their disappointing ACC tournament performance. And Although I don't know what the results were of of the surgery, uh, I'm wishing him the best. Mm -hmm. Everyone's wishing him the best. And hopefully John Michael will be ready for the Super Regional and he'll be right there in the dugout with them. And, you know, the Canes have a lot to play for. They have a lot to play for. And they have the home crowd behind them. And to be honest, I think that with that, It'll be their X factor in being able to advance to the super regional. They can make it to the college world series, mm -hmm. but baby steps. Hmm. We can't look forward. Their focus has to be completely on Friday. Forget about what happened in the ACC tournament. Forget about what happened in the season. Everything has culminated to this specific moment on Friday. That's all they should be focused on.
0: I love it. I love it. And you know what? That's, what more fuel do you need when it, that, that, that goes to show you that, you know, when things outside of sports combine with sports and makes, you know, it makes you feel good. It, it shows you that it's more than just a game. And so thank you for sharing that with me and everyone else listening into the podcast about, you know, John Michael's story, his battle, and then his, you know, the, the support that he's receiving from the UN baseball program. That's an, that's amazing fuel. If you're an athlete, that's, just, that's the type of fuel that I would want to have and motivation to go out there and perform and. You know, at the end of the day, they they, are—you know—they're part of Miami. They are part of this community, so that's 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 another way of incorporating yourself as as being more than just a student athlete. You know, is being involved in the community in that regard. So, thank you, Gabe, for sharing that information with me. So, hopefully, that you know, I'm—I'll be sending out my thoughts and prayers and my support to John Michael and everyone here listening in on First Pitch 305 and everyone in the Lemon City family listening in as well. They're going to be showing and, and sharing their support to John Michael as well. So. You know that that's going to wrap things up here for episode three of First Pitch three hundred five. Guys, don't forget that you can follow Gabe and his and his content on Lemon City Live and his tweets at Gabe Writes Sports. That's at Gabe right Sports. So he, he he covers the Marlins with me. Like I said, we are the Jesus Aguilar Garrett Cooper of Lemon City Live. But you can also follow him and read his stuff on UM Baseball. And FIU baseball, things are dwind, uh, dwindling down here, and F for FIU and UM baseball. So it's just going to be me and him covering the Marlins for the rest of the summer, and then we're going to be updating you guys. To, you know what's going on, obviously in UM FIU things of that sort. But I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, gave me back in the cozy air conditioning AC fueled um, press box in Marlins or Lone Depot Park. So I'm sure you're going to you're going to miss the arrangements over there at Mark Light. That's for sure, Gabe.
1: I'm gonna miss their uh, Mark Light shakes. If oh, you've never you tried them before, you need to try them. They're, They're really amazing. good, especially the ones of uh, Rag Arm and Baseball Buddy. Mm. That's that, That's like their little plug in there. And that reminds me, I am not looking forward to seeing our lovely ice cream machine on the oh. IO since apparently it has not been repaired yet.
0: It had a little, had a brief, you know, and I mean, had a brief stint on the IL, then came back. But now it's not. Now it looks like it's stints going to be stretched out a little bit longer this time. I don't know what's going on in the press box at Lone Depot Park with the ice cream machine, but I hope it gets resolved because I, I hope so. Because I'm
1: going to be missing those uh, Mark Light
0: shakes.
2: Mm.
0: You know, and, and there's only only so much that free soda and free popcorn. That's only only so. I can only go so far. Only oh, I can it go so only
1: go so far. <laughs> but yeah, and guys, it you can, can follow me like, so far.
0: at Gabe Wright Sports, and you can follow me at a Gear Cap. Three guys, don't forget to follow the show at First Pitch Three Hundred Five on Twitter and on Instagram. And guys, thanks for listening in. We'll be back next week for another episode of First Pitch Three Hundred Five. Thanks for listening, guys.